This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're faking our death and allegedly irresistible to the ladies. While watching spine number 64 in the Criterion Collection, Carol reads The Third Man from 1949. But first, RJ. Hey, hey, hey. Ugh. <laughs> don't do this things like that. That's horrible. Ugh. I don't want to do this show anymore. <laughs> you know what, Jared? I was going to say that uh, I think this is a milestone because um, if I remember correctly, this might be close to our one year oh. of actual shows because today is my cat Hazel's birthday. Oh. And I believe it was her birthday in one of the first shows we ever did. So. Yeah, there's it's it's up to, to for debate, I guess, because I think we you record we, 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 we recorded five. I, I got an e yeah, I got an email message from Tumblr saying that it was one year since I created that Tumblr, which I think we right. which I did. I've created all these accounts like the night we came mm-hmm. up with the name, so we'd have the name to ourselves because uh, right. it's money. And and there mm-hmm. has there has been a couple of goofs that have uh, attempted to create their Criterion Creeps brand on uh, YouTube. I think they've mm-hmm. got uh, uh, an episode or something in the can on Hasu. People are welcome to check it out. That's not us, though. <coughs> and we were there first. God damn it. Right. But then I think, yeah, we recorded mm, sometime. We recorded like five or six episodes before we started putting them out there. So we were in the window of it's been a year. Yeah. One long year yeah. of Criterion mm. Creeps podcasting. Do you regret it all? Uh, Was it all bad? No, it's been good. I like it. It's a hobby. It's, uh, it's a hobby. It's a hobby. You know. Yeah. It's like the CB radio for the 21st century podcasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I personally feel like I'm a worse person now than I was a year ago. Yeah. Oh, so not not because of my life, but because of the show. Okay. Uh, it hasn't bettered me in any way. Okay. So, um, I blame you, Duncan. Oh. You're a bad man. <laughs> You're a bad hombre, and well, everybody hey, thinks so. Now you can say you've seen Salo. See, I am a worse person yeah. now than I was before. Because yeah. you've and, made me watch such filth. Henry V. <laughs> oh, yeah. Henry V. Mm-hmm. That, well, at least, I mean, that movie was boring, but at least it wasn't like horrible <laughs> <laughs> like Salo was. Oh, poor Salo. Everyone agrees. Nobody. Uh, thinks otherwise so mm-hmm. that's the uh the opinion of everybody do you have any there you uh, go. What, what's what's the actual highlight of the criterion creep so far for you oh, shit like in terms of movies or yeah. in terms and, and, been... no the movies yeah of all the movies that we've watched at this point so mm-hmm. we're at spine 65 4 64 as of today so 64 yeah well you know i'm a little bit un- unprepared here <laughs> as I lift up my binder full of precious memories. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. In terms of actual movies, I just pulled up my ranked list, and I guess it's not it's number 10 on my list, so you might ask why it's up there, but I think this was the biggest surprise, mm. and probably the Red Shoes. Oh. Because all the other ones in my top 10, I knew were good movies, right. like Passion of the Joan of Arc and High and Low and 
mm-hmm. Robocop, of course. Yeah. Uh, actually, Red Shoes and Fishing with John. Those uh, are my two yes. big highlights because I love that Fishing with John, man. That mm-hmm. shit is the dopest. Right. So, but yeah, I think um, Red Shoes was a, a big surprise. I like that one way more than I thought I would. Where if you look at the other movies in my top like 20, um, I knew about them. I had, I had either seen them before or I knew about them going in. So I knew they would be good. That was the, those two were the actual surprises. Okay. Yeah. You know? I mean, um, right now, like for the movie, I've already seen it before, but definitely I think at this point, the best movie we've watched is Passion of Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like uh, surprises, I would definitely put uh, Knights of Kiberia uh, in that, like that's oh, like yeah, that's yeah. the movie that like totally made me go, whoa, this movie's incredible. Actually, mm-hmm. but, uh, the that in uh, Amarcord because I also I guess I watched that for the very first time. I really like that movie. Um, right. And uh, the the one probably our most contentious would be actually Oliver Twist. The uh, between the between the two of us or between... yeah like yeah between us because like we had like uh, opposite yeah. reactions to it. Yeah, because I I really like mm-hmm. that Oliver Twist. Uh, but yeah, both those Fellinis. Uh, and then, yeah, like, what are the other two? At Black Orpheus, Autumn Sonata. Yep. Yeah, but those are both big yeah, standouts. Yeah, they're just movies that, like, I don't think anyone goes out of their way to watch that are mm-hmm. coming to the collection. So I don't know what sales are like uh, for either of those titles uh, for Criterion, but I imagine that they're quite a bit lower than some of that other stuff. And a lot of that stuff we've been mm-hmm. watching at this point, a lot of it's out of print and not available from Criterion anymore. Uh, that includes uh, tonight's title, The Third Man. Which is also right. uh, long, long out of print, out of print. Uh, very expensive Blu-ray because it was only available for a short period of time. Um, but mm-hmm. we'll talk about that later on. But yeah, that's yeah. kind of like I don't know accomplishments. I guess of uh, I guess there's the whole accomplishment of actually sticking to doing a podcast uh, on a, a on a weekly basis. Uh, we skipped a couple weeks, I think, in between there. But generally, we made like two. Yeah, that's like that's about like, it. There was like, like two like, times we couldn't do it. Literally a couple times. <laughs> yeah. But then we, we did more than enough to make up for it. We did some yep. specials, all that fun Double stuff. headers. Double headers. Those, it's been a while and I, I don't I don't miss those. Um. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here, I have a question for you. Yeah. Everyone already knows what my bottom of the barrel is. What's your uh, worst movie so far? Other than, well, no, yeah. Just what's your worst, worst one or two or handful of uh, well, worst shit? Oh, Henry the, Henry the Fifth. That, that movie, yeah. I, I can't. I, that movie's so boring. Uh, I, w- mm-hmm. I would never watch it again. It's just like it's not even because it's like a bad movie. It's just we're so we're boring. so past we're so past making movies like that that mm-hmm. it really stands out. Um, like just how unengaging it is. Uh, right. And I'd say like you know Night Porter is uh, definitely down there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean like I'd like Armageddon. Like it goes without say that it just does not fit. <laughs> At yeah, all. well, but like, yeah. I mean, that's like that was probably one of the that was like the most fun we've had probably uh, talking yeah. talking about like any of these movies. So there's that. Like, I mean, there's something about mm-hmm. Michael Bay that's like, oh, it's fun enough that like it's so interesting because it's an entertaining movie, but it's like it's dumb as bricks and like stupid and it, it's it's yep. it's garbage, but it's like fun garbage, but it's still like a pretty terrible movie. Um, yeah. And then yeah, I mean, I was never a fan of Summertime. Uh, just it just yeah, I, your your opinion will change on that though. Yeah, I know that maybe. Uh, and then yeah, the other I guess I could go through all the disappointments because I love talking negatively about things. Yeah, w- sure. Walkabout. Uh, that that was more like because like I was 
more disappointed. Like, cause I actually, when I first watched that movie years and years ago, I thought it was a great movie and just mm-hmm. like, they're just not that great. Uh, and you obviously have your moral objections to the film's existence in itself. It's, it was a fun listen, folks. Mm-hmm. You should go back and take, take, yeah. a, take a gander. Well, one of our least listened to episodes probably too, which Actually, I think like shows it, that it's, it's one of the weaker ones well, or has it climbed. Uh, no, I th- I'm pretty sure actually one of, our, one of the least, uh, other one of the least listened to episodes was the red shoes. And that is, oh, yeah? and that it's not like people start the episode and turn it off. It's just like, yeah. they just don't care about the movie. Uh, well, see, that's, which that's is, why which I brought it up before, but yeah, I don't know. It was because that was like one of the biggest surprises for me. Cause I was genuinely surprised by that movie. Right. I was like, fuck, this movie's really good. I had no idea. But yeah, I mean, uh, great expectations. I didn't enjoy very much, mm-hmm. uh, though. I think like in my mind, I have a clearer impression of that movie than like, yeah. anything that, like actually I have a pretty good, cause like, I guess when I watch these movies for the podcast, I kind of pay attention to them differently than I do when I watch a lot of other stuff. So there's definitely images that I like in that movie, but just on the right. whole, I was just kind of like let down unbearable lightness of being, <laughs> uh, that, uh-huh. that, that movie is just like not great at all. Um, and actually oh, yeah. probably the biggest disappointment of all is, uh, the samurai trilogy, I think. Oh, like, were you I, expecting I, those to be really good? I just assume. Actually, I'm, I'm actually more surprised by how much uh, I don't really care about samurai movies because, mm. uh, as as discussed in our second episode, I'm like not that crazy for Seven Samurai. I think it's a good movie, yeah. but I don't like love it. The way, like, I don't think it's like a masterpiece by any means. Um, there's like a, like a good like 25 movies we've watched on in the Criterion Creep alone that I would mm-hmm. put ahead of uh, Seven Samurai. Uh, but yeah, like I remember like kind of thinking like, oh, these movies will be at least like pretty good. But I was like kind of like, oh, they're kind of mm-hmm. boring. Um, and then like, yeah, I I'd throw like 39 steps in that too. Just like it's yep. not that terrific of a movie. Yeah. Actually, there's like I don't know. There's just not not that yeah. much to it, eh? Yeah, there's a good like fifteen odd movies that are just kind of like oh, like movies I thought I liked and now I don't really care about them. Like the Tokyo Drifter, Branded to Kill, um, Naked Kiss. Like a lot of these were double headers too, which I think like might have had a bit of an impact potentially, because I think like of the ones I just named, uh, the Samurai movies. Uh, the like Flesh of Frankenstein, Blood for Dracula movies. Yeah. Uh, those were all movies where we had to like, oh God, we had to watch two or three of these <laughs> in for a week. And it's like, uh, it, it adds up. So I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it, but I just think they're movies that just haven't like, uh, I don't know, aged gracefully. I mean, it's, I'm not like right. angry that they're in the Criterion collection or I had to watch them, but I don't know. They can't all be winners, RJ. Yeah, I agree with you for most of those. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're on the same page for most of them, but yeah. uh, there are a few times, mm-hmm. like you said, that that Oliver Twist, Great Expectations. Oh boy, mm-hmm. was was that fun? That battle lines Sparks were, were drawn. flying that day. Yeah, <laughs> shots were well, fired. I, I think it was mostly I just couldn't believe how um how you were wrong, and I was just right. So <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, so I guess the big question that everyone is asking is. Uh, I have my ranked list on Letterboxd. You have a secret ranked list. When is that going to be made public now that we're at the, the one-year mark here? Oh, you want me to make it public? Uh, I'm just the messenger here for oh, the people. Well, Skype, asking. whatever you said, Skype edited it out. So. Oh, come on. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> 
Uh, well, anyways, you do whatever you want. I'm just asking because okay. people want to know. I don't know. Maybe okay. I'll, I'll just get. I'll let people keep guessing. Yeah. Well, all right, whatever. I don't care. I think I think my list will actually surprise some. Um. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why. Well, that's why I brought it up. No. Yeah. Because I know your number one movie is just Savo, and that's the whole list. <laughs> no. Nothing else is even on that it, list. It, it really isn't. It, it's actually uh, I use Savo as my demarcation movie. That's like mm-hmm. the that's the difference between greatness and. Uh, not great that's armageddon for me yeah everything under armageddon on my list is we which i mean rightfully so if it's under armageddon you can be like oh man i think Mm -hmm. i just have it there because it's a good placeholder because i'm never confused it's like oh yeah this is either worse or not worse right you know yeah i hear you know bro yeah (laughs) what are you doing over there I don't know. I'm just listening to you say. Okay, well, I'll fill some time before we get yeah. to the creeps. Uh, I I just discovered there's a listener who's been commenting a lot on our SoundCloud page. Oh, I, yes. We've and had a, an interaction now. Whoa. Ah. But uh, this person uh, goes by the name of Zandra11, mm-hmm. and uh, they are an active commenter uh, with such great comments like the timestamp on our longest episode ever. Uh, what for one movie? Uh, for one movie? Yeah, wasn't that uh, goddamn Life of Brian? Yeah, for Life of Brian. Uh, so they gratefully uh, time stamped it at like an hour and fifty minutes, where the review actually starts, <laughs> yeah. and they just said finally. Uh, they commented on the Spinal Tap episode and said that we should check out A Mighty Wind because it is like Spinal Tap Two. Hmm. I've never heard of that, but actually I've heard the name, but I've never, I don't really know much about it. Uh, on the Silence of the Lambs episode, they said that I should check out uh, Extraterrestrial. Uh, it's not E.T., the Spielberg film. Uh, it's another film. Oh, and I think yes. looking back, I was talking about Montauk Chronicles and all those alien movies I gave up on. So they're trying to help me out. And then uh, they also commented on Time Bandits. Um there's a part, and I listened to it. I wasn't sure exactly where the comment was supposed to go, but they uh, brought up how there's the running joke about star-crossed lovers. And uh, I saw this, and I was like, oh, well, I didn't really have any idea. But, I mean, all the listeners out there, they know that I'm bad at this. Yeah. I'm just here for, like, fart jokes. I don't actually pull meaning out of any of these movies. Mm. Uh, but they said that um, they love this film. And apparently when Michael Palin wasn't able to be Robin Hood, uh, because John Cleese got the role. Instead, he wrote the part with Terry Gilliam to give himself a larger role in the film. So, you know, it's nice. No. Some added bonuses from our listeners. Uh, we also oh, got yeah. a, uh, e, uh, a SoundCloud message from uh, user Monogamy. And, he, and uh, this person wrote, Hey, gang, really dig this podcast. Just getting into it. I like to hear two guys talk about film in a fun, interesting, humorous, and non-pretentious way. Looking forward to catching up with some of the films I've seen. Keep up the good work. Cheers. Nice. I think you, I wonder, monogamy. Yeah, I wonder if he uh, practices what he preaches there, if he is in a monogamous <laughs> relationship. Mm-hmm. Or do you think he's one of those weirdos that has like nine... Wait, wait or a weirdo who has like nine husbands or wives. You, you know what I mean? Oh, are you freak shaming? No, but I think that's illegal. 
<laughs> well, you someone definitely yeah. Well, sometimes you right? can't. sometimes the the government's wrong, RJ. Don't don't talk about shaming to me. <laughs> if you want to be a potato, go be a potato somewhere. I don't care. Okay. All right. Hey RJ. See, what's up? <laughs> what you been creeping on this week? Ooh, so I just have some mild creepage for you. Uh, I was really busy this week, but I did fit in one thing that you made me watch called The Hidden. Oh, yeah. I actually fit in two things. but So I watched The Hidden, yep. and it was in a double pack with the second movie. Mm-hmm. But I heard the second movie was garbage, so I'll watch that later. Okay. Um, so I'm going to – so this is an alien movie because that's my shtick. Mm-hmm. Uh, as the other fans have pointed out, like Xandra, and I think Oliver, he suggested that movie The Cat. But I couldn't yes. find that movie yet. I will watch it one day. Um, I've got so it. So the hit, you got it. Okay, I'll watch it with you one day. Uh, the Hidden came out in '87, and it stars your buddy, uh, Mr. Jackpots, uh, Kyle MacLachlan mm-hmm. from that Twin Peaks fame. Yep. And in this movie, uh, it is about a alien that looks like a grasshopper with squid tentacles. Kind of. It's pretty cool, actually. And it climbs inside people's bodies, and then it goes, and it's a serial killer, and it's a bank robber, mm-hmm. and it's a deviant who listens to heavy metal music and just likes having a good time, man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's all this movie is about. Uh, I thought it was super cool, like for real. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like... Whoops, sorry. Uh, it's not like a great movie by any means. Uh, I do think it is pretty good. I really liked it because this is like, if I ever made a movie, this is probably the movie, I w- one of the movies I would have made about like a, a deviant alien who likes metal music and driving Lamborghinis. Yep. Um, it's got some pretty decent effects, actually. Like when you first see the alien crawl from a, a person to another person, uh, they only show it once, which I think is the right call because I think they only had the money to do it once, maybe. <laughs> Or okay. something like that. Uh, and it does look really good, actually. Um, uh, so there's that. Uh, all the stuff he does is really funny. Like he's walking around with a boombox listening to music and like just pushing people over. And he's like, <laughs> take that, dude. And you're just like, man, this guy knows what's up. <laughs> uh, and then there's a lot of gun uh, gun violence and shooting rockets at things and yeah. explosions. Uh, there is... Two scenes that stick out. One is in the at the very start. He's driving his stolen vehicle, and there's a guy in a wheelchair, and he just blows through that guy. And then you see the wheelchair fall on the ground, and I was just like, "Whoa!" That's when you know you're in for some serious shit, man. Uh, and then the other scene that sticks out to me is um, there's a scene where he inhabits a stripper's body to so he can get, he can get out of the strip club, and and when the stripper walks away, they're like her her whole butt is just hanging out of her dress. And I thought it was really funny because it kind of reminds me. Andrea gets really mad at me because she says my butt crack is out all the time and that my underwear like isn't really there anymore. And it just shows my butt crack all the time. And this lady has the same thing that I have. Her whole oh. butt is just hanging out. Oh. And so it made me feel like I wasn't the only one in the universe, you know. Mm-hmm. So... That's pretty fun. Yeah. Uh, that's all I really have to say about the hidden. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you want to add anything or just onward and upward. 
Uh, yeah, no. Uh, so this was, that movie was directed by uh, Jack Shoulder, who uh, also directed Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge. Uh, a, a weird, like, little strange movie from like nineteen eighty two called Alone in the Dark, which starred yep. the, the, the late Matthew, uh, Martin Landau and Jack Palance. Uh, mm-hmm. and it's a good time if you like movies that have like that tease, like pedophilic murderers doing horrible things to children. Uh, right. and then, uh, he also directed Wishmaster 2. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so, yeah, he's kind of a schlock master of a director. Mm-hmm. He hasn't directed anything too, too. Oh, you know what his highlight of his career though is, is the, what? uh, I believe it is the Generation X TV series. Oh, which it, which one? There, so there was a pilot that came out called Generation X. It starred like Matt Matt Frewer, who did the voice of the Pink Panther mm-hmm. uh, t- from okay. that TV show. Uh, it was like it's like one of those like bad attempts at trying to make a TV show from this, right. like from doing a Marvel show before Marvel was like a big thing because this was in 1996 mm-hmm. uh, and it failed horribly. <laughs> it's it's crap like that that's that held back the superhero wave that we're now living in constantly. Ah, uh, okay. Other than that, like, I don't really remember too much of The Hidden. I know that it's out of print. I bought the DVD two-pack at like a pawn shop and it was just sitting on my shelf. And when I was organizing things, I was like, hey, Kyle McLaughlin, Aliens, I think RJ needs to watch this. Mm-hmm. So that's like my whole, uh, that's my take on the hidden. I don't remember that much and I don't, I remember being kind of like underwhelmed by it, but maybe my opinion mm-hmm. on it's changed. I'm a different man now. You are, you, you're a worse person too. Mm-hmm. No, um, it's like I said, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to win over anyone who's not a fan of those things already, like yeah. aliens and eighties movies type things like that. Um, yeah. I dug it, but I mean, I know a lot of people won't. So if you if any of that sounds interesting, you should probably check it out. Yeah, alien strippers and hanging butt, hanging butts, man, that was too sweet. Okay, so now we're gonna get to the real deal here. So the long publicized creep. This week I went to the 10, 10 20 year in the making movie adaptation. Of Stephen King's *The Dark Tower*, mm-hmm. everything was up against this movie. Uh, not to not even bringing up the countless times that it was canceled and didn't get made, and then when it did get made and it got delayed three times, and there was mass reshoots every time, and then when the previews came out, and Whoa. then hearing the director, and it's just like, man, this movie sounds well, fucking horrible. I, I remember, like, because we were talking about this movie for since the podcast, because mm-hmm. this is also the unofficial Stephen King podcast. True, uh, true. And then we were talking, like, I don't know if it was on the show or just, like, uh, on during one of our lunch meetings, uh, mm-hmm. where we were like, there's, like, no commercials at all. There's no trailer for The Dark Tower yet. And we were talking yep. about that until, like, for not that long ago. And it wasn't until, like, what? May, June, that the first trailer came out, and it was like, oh man, this it looks like just yeah. like a generic action movie. Like, it like doesn't, mm-hmm. and it's like, wait, where's this set during the movie's timeline or the storyline? Like, what is this? And it just like was like more, it, didn't, it kind of grew concerning. Um, that it's like this movie's out right away, and like they're just dumping this out, and there's no fanfare. 
Um, and I think that continued to play out uh, up until it basically came out, like where they had like an embargo on reviews until like midnight mm-hmm. on Wednesday last week. Yeah, so everything was pointed against this movie being good. Mm-hmm. We called that a long time ago. Well, I, I, I can't remember. We, I forgot to write this down, but I remember we made our predictions of like mm. what the Rotten Tomatoes score on this would be. But I don't. Yep. I, I can't remember what it was, but I thought it was going to be like a 58%. Uh, so uh-huh. I, I was I well overshot uh, what uh, that th- this was what it wound up being. Yeah, I, uh, I had a friend ask me this week what I thought it was going to be, and I gave him a a uh, very generous um, 20%. Uh, so that was closer to it, I guess. So, well, I mean, that's not totally fair. Yeah. But I think what it what did it turn out to be, like 15? Is it that low again? Wow. It's Yeah, it's down. It's definitely below 17. It's oh. like 15 or 17%. Okay. Um, and I think for good reason. Uh, because all this buildup. Uh, hey, Jared, this movie fucking sucks. <laughs> Is, and, it, is it eighteen percent? Eighteen, okay. Yeah. So it's it it, <laughs> it it's bubbling around fifteen to eighteen. Yeah. What an accomplishment. Yeah. Um. So I'll I'll give you the bottom line here. I'm gonna tell you why this movie sucks as a movie, and mm-hmm. then I'll tell you why this movie sucks as a Stephen King adaptation. Yeah. Because it is equally bad in both rights. Um. So it really sucks just as a a basic movie. Because it is, it represents everything that is lazy and like sloppy about current Hollywood blockbusters. Um, I think the reason what I heard there was this big thread going on how the common factor in this and much of those other ones, like say the Transformers movies and things like that, is uh, the man Akiva Goldsman or Akiva Goldsmith. Something like that. Goldsman. His name's a, his yeah, name's yeah, Akiva, yeah. so yep. you, you'll find him. Uh, so this guy's just a Academy piece of shit Award producer. Winner. Yeah. What did he win an Academy Award for? Beautiful Mind. Oh well. And he whatever. also and he also uh, wrote the Lost in Space uh, movie from like the uh, like ninety seven. That's like of course he did. As, like one of the worst movies. Even though like I think I saw mm-hmm. that movie, I thought it was like kind of cool when I was a kid. Oh, you nerd. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, no, yeah, he's he's got a, a weird rep. Like he gets paid a lot of money for scripts, mm-hmm. and he writes a lot of crap. Because I think he also wrote like I think it was Wild Wild West. I think it's another one of under his. You belt. know what else he wrote? What Batman and Robin? Yeah, yeah. There you go. But the he gets, movie that but killed he, the franchise. Well, he gets he gets paid a lot of dough though. That's he sure that does. was part of the problem. Like, he was getting millions of dollars. Like he was like that Joe Esterhaus school of like ridiculously overpaid screenwriters. Because uh, mm-hmm. apparently money just grew on trees uh, in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I think that's one reason, but like this movie has five fucking screenwriters for it too. Like that's not good. Like a committee wrote this movie, but anyway, so well, the reasons yeah. it's I mean, bad the, as a movie itself. Sorry, yeah. what? Oh, sorry. I was gonna say like the reason that that sort of thing happens with movies is because like they every person that's written that's, that wrote mm-hmm. that movie for that studio starting in like in 2010. Like so, the Ron Howard version probably that version yep. carried over so i mean actually only having fine five script writers is not not that bad okay <laughs> yeah that's like sure. that's like it's bad but there's worse i think there's some that where it's like 10 and you're just like what the fuck yeah i think that pacific room 2 has like seven screenwriters i think they scrapped some of that like that it's mm-hmm. such a weird the industry sucks yeah. man oh yeah 
but uh, yeah. So, anyways, the what I where I think this just goes wrong as a movie in general is it's so like inconsistent and like lazy storytelling. It's so loosely put together that it's just like I, I can't see why anyone would be interested in it at all. Like, uh, it's got a lot of things like there will be a big scene where it's all hefty exposition. Like this guy just lays out why this is a movie and you're like, okay, you're like, that's probably not necessary, but okay. Like movies like this have those scenes. And then in the very next scene, it'll be the other, like, so in the scene, it'll be Roland explaining it. And then in the next scene, it'll be Matthew McConaughey's Man in Black, and he'll be explaining it too, but he'll be explaining Roland's, like, exactly what was just said. And he's like, see, this is why what he said is why it's going to be like this. And you're like, okay. You're like, why did they have that scene? It's like they're just reiterating exactly what was just said. You don't need that. And then, like, honestly, like, a scene will pass, and there will be another scene, and it'll flash back to that thing again. And you're like, why are they showing us this so much? Like, I, like, it's not that it's that important to the story. It's just like, do they think that people don't remember like ten minutes ago, or like there's people are so dumb that they need to be constantly told why things need to be the way they are? <laughs> I don't know, Jarrett. Um, then there's a lot of like, I mean, it's a lot of the stuff that you know. Like from bad movies, like characters have the worst cheesy dialogue and the movie goes, it goes by the beat of every movie you've ever seen. Like you're never like, you're never excited. You know exactly what's going to happen every single time that it, like before it does to the point where like characters will be saying stuff and you can just finish their sentences. Like remember, oh no, you never saw the mummy, but in the mummy where it's like, it's not a prison and then there's a pause. It's like, or it's not a tomb pause it's a prison like you can just fill in those blanks like it has a lot of stuff like that yeah and then it just has a lot of like really borderline confusing things that i don't know if it was just me i was paying attention but like just continuity wise it's like i don't really understand how they got here like they go from a to d to z like they just jump make these huge leaps um like there's one they go to this town which is basically like the kala like uh book five and there's a portal there. And th- th- this is another thing that's dumb. Like there's – they've made – because there was portals in the books. Anyways, shut up. Uh, there's a portal there, right? And they're like uh, – Roland's like, hey, Jake, take me to where they have all the kids where the man in black is. And he's like, okay, we can use the portal. And then the people in the town are like, no, you can't use the portal. They'll know where we are. And then Jake's like, there's a portal in New York on Earth. And Roland's like, okay, we'll go there and use theirs. And then the people in the town are like, okay, you can use our portal to go to Earth to use their portal to go where you want to go. And it's just like, what? It's like, why does this, why did that happen? How does this make any sense? And like, it's, I don't think, someone will say, well, you can't just, they don't want you to portal right to that place. But that doesn't matter because the way this world is set up, like, it's, it's just a hole that opens and you just drop in. Like, it's like, there's things like that. Like, if it was any other movie, you would watch it and you'd just be like, why did they do that? Like, it's so confusing and lazy. Like, do you know what I mean, man? Hey, RJ, so what's The Dark Tower about? <laughs> Fuck. Actually, you know what this movie is, Jared? Yeah. This movie, the perfect way to describe it is like there was a guy who read this book like 15 years ago mm-hmm. and he kind of remembers it. 
and he's trying to tell someone else what the book is about like at a bar or something he's like yeah so then there's like these doors that you pass through and there's a tower and it's bad or it's good i don't know it's like that like that's what this movie feels like Hmm. do you actually want me to tell you what the dark tower is about uh no. Oh okay. <laughs> I just like so, we were talking. We're talking about this movie that like I have no idea if anyone actually knows what the Dark Tower is about, other than people who've read it. Because like, well, I've read the first book and that's it. Yeah. And I, I don't know really anything about the Dark Tower other than I assume I kind of know what the gist of it is. And it's just like mm. it's kind of like fantasy, but like urban fantasy and whatever. Fantasy Western science fiction is what it gets described yeah. as. Um, so, I mean, if people remember, I covered the books on the show Yeah, when I was doing it. So well, I, I mostly just remember, back. I just remember conversations about racism, uh, uh, Stephen Rampant King racism? casually throwing around weird things. Well, that, he's uh, a, he's a master at that. Yeah. He's, he's practiced. <laughs> mm-hmm. No. Okay. So the dark tower, um, it's about like, there's different worlds, and they're all from the same world. He actually describes it really good in like the first or second book where he's like, imagine a blade of grass and you cut off the top of the blade of grass and then the grass keeps growing. And like the blades that got cut off, that's like where the world that the gunslinger Roland is from, like his world has moved on. So it was like at 1960 or whatever, there was a thing that happened and the world separated where our world keeps going. Their world got moved on and then it's like a wasteland kind of world where there's no machines and people there's like mutants and there's radiation and there's one and like roland is the only guy left who isn't like a mutant or like a town folk or the bad guys like the man in black and uh like like i said mutants or vampires or whatever um so the thing with the tower the one thing that I really like, I think I mentioned it before, where I think he keeps it really vague on like what the tower is. And you never even really know until the very last like two pages what the tower actually is. And then with Roland, like his whole motivation is he's from this line of basically knights. Like this is kind of like King Arthur. Yeah. He's from this line of knights. And he has this obsession to go to the tower because he feels like he's drawn to it. He doesn't know why he's drawn to it. He's just obsessed with it. And then he, like it shows really in the books, that's how he kind of develops his character is where he like um he makes lots of sacrifices. Like he lets lots of his friends die because he, of his quest for the tower. And he, and it's like a thing that he doesn't even totally understand. Like he's always moving towards it, but he doesn't really understand. And along the way, he meets characters like Jake, who's like a little kid, and uh, some other people who are also kind of drawn to the tower, and they don't really know why they're drawn to it, but they just have this like feeling that they need to get there. And then in the background, which isn't even like it's not really on the forefront, but there's characters like the Man in Black, who uh, is the same like Randall Flagg from yeah. The Stand. Like he's kind of like um, I wouldn't call him a magician. Because, he, like, he is in the books, but in this movie they made him a magician and he had sweet lines like, you were ne- you're, you were always immune to my magics. <sighs> and it's Matthew McConaughey, like, whispering into people's ears. And you're just like, oh, man, that's lame. But so, like, he's like a magician and he's kind of under the rule of the Crimson King. And that's a character, too, that you never really see until the very end. But you always hear about him and he's 
he kind of commands like a magician and the vampires and they're all kind of working to bring down the tower. Okay. And then what you find out is that the tower is just kind of like a pin between all these worlds yeah. and they're kind of keeping them there. And so the idea is that if the tower ever leaves, everything just dies. Like the oh, universe okay. has just stopped being. And so it's, it's actually good that you asked me to describe that because that is a good description of it, I think. And that is why like this movie gets so many of those things so wrong because they just change a lot of it and it's really unnecessary. Like, uh, it starts off and it's McConaughey. He's like, I want to bring down a tower because once that falls, it'll be fire and evil everywhere. And they show like all these spooky, like spider things coming out of it. And it's like, well, the tower prote- protects all the universes from bad dimensional demons. And it's like, what? It's like, why would you change that? Like, isn't it just scary enough that it's like, well, if that's not there, everyone dies. Right. So like, that's one thing. It's like, I don't know why they changed that. Like why they had to spook it up, up just, like you could have just left it the way it was right um the things with like roland's character in this movie they make it so that his his whole like obsession is his pursuit is just basically like revenge against mcconaughey because mcconaughey killed his dad and i mean like that's not a spoiler you're there that's actually in the books and that's a reason why roland doesn't like the man in black but that was never like his his main thing like he he's walking to the tower and then the man in black kind of like always crosses his path and he's like oh i'll get you one day you (laughs) fucker so like there's that and i feel like that really make makes his character really petty and it takes away from those things where it's like when he does start to sacrifice like all these people that he meets for his tower it doesn't it won't it'll make it so it doesn't matter as much in the movies because like he has no reason to do it if that makes sense. And then, I don't know, there's just really dumb stuff. Like, um, in the books, bullets are really rare. Like, I think in the first book, he has eight bullets or something, or like yeah. 12. And, like, it get, you really, you spend a lot of time in that world, and you it stresses, like, why it's such a big deal that he has these guns. And then it's, like, it's reduced to such a little thing in this movie where he's just like, hey, are bullets as rare in your world as they are in mine? And then Jake's like, oh, you're gonna, boy. You're going to like Earth. Oh, man, wait till you see our point, president. Point, he point, loves bullets. Pointed, pointed political commentary. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then it's like, so then so then when Roman does come and, like, they try to do the fish out of water thing, it feels so, like, un- why he's different and why his world is different. And I feel like that's, like, I'll sum this all up now because I know I've been talking a long time. But I feel like that's why I think this movie is so disappointing is that all of those things are there. Like Steve wrote them in all these books and they could have made this really good story. Like he has all these things already plotted out, like detailed, and they go about it in such a lazy way where they try to get the payoff, but without the buildup. Hmm. So like that's what I that's what I think. It's it's unearned and it's wasted because they're they're going for the payoff of all these things, but the reason it pays off in Stephen King's books is because he wrote fucking seven books in in this series, and then in the seventh book is when certain things actually pay off, and you're like, "Oh man, that was like thirty years in the making, not like twenty seconds." Mm. So, and it's I don't know, it's just yeah. super forgettable. See, I, I saw it last night, and like the only reason I remember this is because I wrote a review, or else I would have forgot a lot of it. Uh, how how busy was the theater? 
it was actually pretty busy, but it was the yeah. cheap night. Yes, so yeah. I think, yeah, it was like uh, not half full, but almost half full. But it was the cheap night, so I think a lot of people were like me who were didn't want to go, <laughs> didn't want to go on the opening weekend to not support their their opening, but right. had to see it right away. So well, it it was busy enough. Yeah, it's just interesting because I like, think about movies like this where like all the things you're laying out being problems as far as like an adaptation and like it's kind of being an adaptation on its own merits like how much if it was closer to the books like if you say they started with like they did it mm. properly and they did the gunslinger as a movie and it was like this low-key like just weird western story that like didn't mm-hmm. go too crazy and it just laid out the story right, right at the go um if it would have been more successful and if say like critical reception was much stronger to that like people were like yeah right this is the dark tower we always wanted would people have still cared more would this movie still done better i don't know hard to say yeah, well, we don't we yeah. live in a world where there's like I don't know. I ever saw some story about like there's a survey out there that uh, will probably be whether or not there's going to be a Dark Tower television series uh, because mm-hmm. this movie's like done so badly. Like, and it's done bad. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I saw like uh, in, with even with foreign markets, I don't even think I think it's made like half its money back at if that at this point. Mm-hmm. And like, so its budget was only sixty million, which we were like, what sixty million dollars? That's not very much. And it's like, oh, it hasn't even made that back. And for movies like this, yeah, that's uh, that's a real kick in the pants for old Sony Columbia. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, that's the high stakes. Whatever they making, deserve it, making this type of stuff. I guess they they always yeah. are gambling. But yeah, I don't know. This should have been a better bet, but it sounds like they just fucked it up. And yeah, it's well, it's like I said. Regardless of it being like this big Stephen King thing, like I think it's general. Do, do you think there's so, like a racists online saying that it's failed because Idris Elba was cast as Roland? Probably. Probably. Yeah, people <laughs> said that at the start, but I mean, like, he was fine, yeah. and Jake was fine, and like, they, they work pretty good together, but it's just a bad movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. McConaughey wasn't good. Hmm. He's super, well, he's super cheesy. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. There, there's, like, I could talk about this even more, but I... It's too much time. If anyone wants me to ramble on about why I thought McConaughey was dumb in this movie, you can call me on my direct line, okay? We look we look forward to the reception yeah. of that offer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, bad show. Yeah. So that was what I uh, watched. And then uh, I watched our, um, our traditional Twin Peaks yeah. roundup. Yeah, I don't think I have much to say about Twin Peaks this mm-hmm. week. Like, it was just like uh, another episode. Maybe a little slow. Maybe not enough happened this time out. And I was kind of like, oh, nothing yeah. happened this time out. Like, I, I want more. Other than we had the the return of Big Ed. Yeah, I thought you would have been excited for that. And oh, then the I, I episode was... ends in a really sad Big Ed moment. He's, he's got, like, David Lynch hair, too. Like, his haircut he is... Did? Yeah. Yeah, he did. yeah, it's kind of like... It's kind of, yeah, it's he's got a weird head. And there's, like, that... I think the highlight of that episode for me was the... Uh, bit with um oh what's her name uh the waitress uh who owns the double r uh, oh right yeah oh, God norma damn. norma norma talking with her like new boyfriend who's like also the guy trying to talk about sales on pies and stuff and mm-hmm. like i'm like oh, i wonder if this is how conversations between showtime and david lynch went <laughs> talking about uh, probably yeah, yeah. And and just talking about like I got to make the pie right, you know. You know, people like our pie, mm-hmm. and I've heard that from other people that when other places make the pie, it's just not the same. <laughs> it's a cost-benefit analysis. So I, I wonder if there's yeah. a little bit there uh, of that 
uh, just, on display. Just not the same kind of pie, man. That's right. Only da- only David. Da- I think they want probably wanted to call it like David Lynch's Twin Peaks or something like that. I I, I, uh-huh. I, I wouldn't surprise me in the least. That's all I thought about during that scene. Yeah, um, it's that. It, not I didn't think that, but when you talk about it, it seems like that's definitely what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's pretty funny. Uh, yeah. Uh, what else? And yeah, just like more like weirdness with Audrey's character. Like the I don't know. The, the one thing that David Lynch has not been afraid of, I think, dropping into a show is just like the realities of like mental illness and like yeah. people being messed up. And you're like, and you don't, and you're, it's confusing because it's like, oh, here's a character you really care about and love, and you haven't seen her for 27 years, and now she's mm-hmm. like, a, she's a mess, and like she doesn't even know what's going on. She doesn't know what's going on, and that's like exactly how crippling mental illness can be. So I think it's like kind of strange that he's dropping this into this. He's like strange, fascinating variety show that this yeah. uh, this series has been. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's always interesting. What he does, man. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then RJ, I watched a few movies this week. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. We don't even talked about your creeps yet. Look how long I talked about the dark tower. I know. I know. I, I knew you had to get it out of your system a little I, bit. I had, so. I, uh, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Go. I'm going to hit it out. So I decided, like, Do I don't know. I kind of looked at my Netflix and realized I hadn't mm-hmm. watched any Netflix stuff for a while. I'm like, I want to try to get some of those through. So. Uh, after we recorded last week, I uh-huh. had it first start off by watching my newly acquired Blu-ray of Shin Godzilla. Um, nice. Because I had not watched it yet, uh, and I've seen all the Godzillas, so I might as well watch this one as soon as possible. And I did. Um, I thought it was yep. good. Uh, actually, it's one of those movies that, uh, along with another movie I'll talk about last, uh, where like I, for the first half, I was like, this is so good. This is so great. I like yeah. really into this movie. But then as it went on, I kind of was like, no, it's not a perfect movie, <laughs> which is always a bummer. <laughs> I hate I hate that. Yeah. Like where you're like so like, oh, man, this is going to be really good. Like, is, oh, this is fantastic. It hasn't, no, it hasn't missed a step. But then just like, yep. oh, then it starts missing and then stumbling and then just sort of like, oh, that's Fizzles. that. So that's kind of that was my experience with Shin mm-hmm. Godzilla. Uh, this movie is dense. Like the number oh, yeah. of the subtitles, just fucking constant. Like you cannot look away from the screen at any point because uh, those scenes, like, cause, I mean, the one thing that gets talked about most with uh, Shin Godzilla is the obvious, like kind of the bureaucratic background stuff, like, which is yeah. like the foreground, uh, which I think is like really uh, interesting because th- the world now is so guided by kind of like following protocols, uh, voting on things. I guess not just like in the old movies where it's like, oh, the, the they just the prime minister just ordered the military to come fight Godzilla. It wouldn't go down that way. There'd be a lot of like, we have, to, we have to do a study of this. Maybe we can capture this creature alive. And there's like all these considerations and like absurdities uh, when you're fighting a giant monster that's destroying the city. Um, and so you get yeah. like the failures of the bureaucracy. Uh, but the fact that like, I don't know, it's not like... St- as damning as you'd expect it to be like the way some people describe it because the idea is that you're the, the, all these people are gathered around to like do the right thing at the end of the day it's just getting people to that point and it's like a lot of um trial and error trying to like tackle the giant lizard that's destroying the city uh we've never dealt with that in before so this movie like it ignores like it basically this is the first godzilla movie that was made in japan that i think completely ignores the first movie because i think all the 
Yeah, kind of. They most of them most of them pick up after the first one. Cuz uh, right? uh, yeah, except for 1985. Oh yeah, yeah, cuz that that one was kind of like no, the, no, uh, that the one, first that, of a that, Yeah, that one is a sequel too because like when they did the Amer- the Roger Corman horrible version, they re-edit and they have uh Raymond Burr come in. Yeah. Uh mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just like that was oh, such a bad movie. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so this was like the first like real restart, like where there's no acknowledgement that the events of 1954 happened. It's just like, hey, it's a this is the first time we've ever seen a giant monster stomping around Tokyo. Yeah, uh, the movie's done pretty straight faced. Uh, there's no, mm-hmm. it's not really trying to be campy at all. Um, yeah, it's it's trying to be very like uh, thought out and like this is how the world. This is how japan of now would handle a godzilla situation and then it gets obviously there's like crazy things with cranes and injections and stuff like that and freezing him and whatnot um yeah but that's just the territory with a uh, kaiju movie but uh-huh. yeah i know there's something about like, the last half hour of this movie that just like it just keeps it, it overstays its welcome it and, yeah and, 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 and that it. and it, it, like the, the the big resolution is kind of like oh that's the end of it, huh? And it ends, like, with 10 minutes to spare. Um, the one thing that's strange is that they keep, like, really bad American actors still in the movie where, like, they're just, like, voices are, like, flat and, like, not realistic whatsoever. Like, I don't know where they found these people. Like, do they just find, here's some American actors living in Japan when we film it. That's good enough. Like, they just don't go out of their way to Probably. find better people. It's just, it's stupid. It's like, why did they, come yeah. on, try harder. <laughs> like, make this movie as good as possible. And all oh, the CGI in this is really bad. Like, mm-hmm. even by Godzilla standards, and I've seen, like, some of that stuff from the 90s, uh, not that long ago, and I think this <clears throat> this CGI and this is aged even worse. Like, and it's not even a year old. Uh, like, the stuff of the trains and stuff. Like, this movie's going to look bad in, like, not that long. Like, it's going to look really bad. And, like, when people, like, That's, the next yeah. the next generation look back, they'll be, like, they'll be talking about all the stuff I talked about being good, but then they'll look at that and go, ooh. Like, they could have done a way better job uh, making this look yeah. better. Uh, yeah, so, I don't know why Japanese CGI is so bad. No yeah. money, I guess, eh? No money. <laughs> but, no, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. I thought it was really, really good for the first three quarters, and then the last uh, last half hour, you're kind of like, all right, come on, finish it up. Or, or do something more interesting, I guess. Yeah. Like, it doesn't get to that point. Um, right. So, I watched that. Uh, as far as my... Again. Then, my Netflix viewing, I watched The Founder, directed by... Oh, John really? Lee Hancock starring Michael Keaton uh, as Ray Kroc, the uh, quote unquote founder of McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember this movie's trailer popping up a year or so ago when it was like trying to be like the the Weinstein's next like Oscar movie that they're all oh, we got Michael Keaton, we got Birdman himself. Uh, we got yeah. this we got this hot biopic that like three years ago the screenplay was described as like one of the hottest unproduced screenplays in Hollywood. Like On it's, the blacklist. It's, it's, no, it's like oh man, this is gonna be the next like there will be blood. It's it's gonna be stellar. <laughs> and then they're like, oh, who do we get to direct it? Let's get John Lee Hancock, the man who brought the blind side uh so the screenplay is written by uh it's robert oh god spiegel or schmiedel or something like that he's the guy who wrote he's the guy who wrote the screenplay for uh the movie big fan starring Patton oswald and and darren aronofsky's the wrestler so this is kind of another one of his like uh kind of existential crisis male of of america movies Mm -hmm. um so like 
it's a fine biopic. It's like very like solid middle of the mm-hmm. run, middle of the pack kind of thing. But like it, this movie is like not served at all by the director who like makes a lot of bad decisions throughout. Mm-hmm. Like he's very like he he doesn't have a lot of vision. This guy uh, just based on his filmography, which is like super underwhelming. Uh, right. Like there's like bad musical <clears throat> cues. Uh, just ugh. there's like that music that they play uh in uh four weddings and a funeral it's like the one like musical piece that they always use it's used in this while they're like laying out like their first mcdonald's like kitchen and there's like a big it's like it's like a good like 10 15 minutes of this movie is dedicated to the history of mcdonald's and then it kind of jumps into like the ray Kroc part because i mean so ray Kroc is like essentially he's an arch capitalist mm-hmm. he's the guy who came in and he turned mcdonald's into the company that we know it is now like he made yep. he, he franchised it he figured out all the all the beats and stuff like that based on the brother's original vision. And it doesn't like go out of its way to bury the guy. But I mean, I've seen some people just talk about this guy's a loathsome piece of shit. And like the whole time, I don't know. I was kind of like, he's kind of, he's kind of smart though. He's, he's smart. Like in the system of America, which is like, uh, capitalism is king. I mean, he was really successful at what he did. And he's, and it wasn't, I mean, he didn't like come up with the idea, but he saw the idea and he ran with it and he popularized it and spread it out. So good for him based on this like the principles of this uh system uh that america wants to find itself on hence the founder uh, <gasps> so anyway, oh. uh so this movie like michael keaton's like good he's got like at first i found yep. he had this strange speech impediment but i guess that's actually like a <laughs> chicago accent um so oh. there's that uh i'm trying to think of there's like lots of like different actors pop up um uh, like patrick wilson yeah just, he's he's there uh Nick Offerman, uh, hmm. um, Lee Arthur from Zodiac. They're the brothers. He's just, you know, there's lots of dudes that pop up. Um, what's his name yeah. from uh, The Office? Ryan. <laughs> He's the. Who? Ryan. Oh, BJ yeah. Novak? Yeah, no, BJ Novak. He shows up as the yeah. sleazy Jewish lawyer that comes mm-hmm. up with the, 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 the crowning achievement of uh, the McDonald's Corporation. Uh, yeah. So, like, I don't know. Founder was good. I liked it. Okay. But. I wouldn't like necessarily mm. be like, you got to watch this, but it, it blasts yeah. by for two hours. And then RJ. Yeah. What else? Uh, I watched, I am the pretty thing that lives in the house directed by Whoa! one Oz Perkins. Oz good Perkins. Yes. So I haven't, I said I was going to watch this and then I didn't cause yeah. I'm a bad person. Yeah. You're a liar. Uh, but, uh, how did it fare in comparison to, uh, the good movie that we really like? It's, uh, Oh, <laughs> Uh, you Black Coat's daughter. Yes. you liked it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah AKA November, yeah. Or whatever its original title was. Yeah, so yeah, no, yeah. that that was good. Uh, this is more a kind of on the Thai West side of things, RJ. Oh no. <laughs> um. I can definitely see people not liking this movie at all, as you can yeah. see, as demonstrated on the letterbox reviews. It is like way too deliberate and slow paced for like Netflix watchers. Yeah. Um. It's just like. Ugh, that audience will not like this movie. It's way too mm. um, deliberate in its pacing. That being said, this movie, uh, like, fuck, Oz, Oz Perkins is a really good director. He has, like, a real sense of, like, visuals and framing, composition, um, just the use of darks and stuff mm. like that, creating tension when it's needed. Um, like, he's just fantastic. So good at it. Like, he's... 
uh, way up there as far as like kind of contemporary directors that really know what the fuck they're doing. Um, the central image of this movie, which is like also the poster, uh, it's the first kind of shot of the movie. And like, mm-hmm. I'm never going to forget that shot. It's really good. Uh, it's super memorable. Um, and it's just like, I don't even know what the effect is. It's just like slow motion and kind of this weird delayed effect. It looks great. Uh, and then the other big thing that comes out in this movie is uh, it has this very writerly uh, screenplay uh, prose uh, voiceover narration. And generally, those are really bad. Like when they yeah. when writers try to pull it off, they, they sound inauthentic or like very clunky and they don't feel like anyone's ever written these words in the style that they've tried to write it in. And it comes off as unconvincing. Mm-hmm. And it's like more like, ugh, this is real hackneyed. But in this... The prose that they overlay on this film, it's like fucking great. Like it's really hmm. good writing, and you're like, wow. Like, and this is like all original scripting. Like, it's like not like uh, yeah. based on anything else, but it really feels like from a different era, from like a writer's voice, and like it's hmm. really effective. And it like per- kind of like uh, fancy words permeates like a lot of the movie. Like it's it, it it's used often, but it's always like you're, it's like not, you have to like you'd have to almost stop to go back to rewind and like re-listen to it which is like mm-hmm. like I don't know any fucking movies where I have to like go back and re-listen to dialogue to pick up on stuff like it, they, <laughs> movies don't even tr- they, they don't want you to do anything like yeah. that like they just want you to want to be an easy peasy viewing and so it's all mm-hmm. stripped down like I try to think of like movies like um like Stakeland or like um like Terrence it's a Terrence Malick trick actually that Stakeland used uh, and it's like that real yeah. and then we don't know what happened and then the vampires came and like it's like that I'm gonna have a st- yeah, I'm yeah. a Southern kid just describing things the way I saw them and uh in this though it's like written by like someone that's like pretty into writing and it's like really convincing so um I don't know I if you are if you watch Black Coat's Daughter, you should definitely watch I Am the Pretty Thing that Lives in the House. Uh, I don't think it's as good because the one thing Black Coat's yeah. Daughter's got that like violence in it yeah. going for it that's like really yeah. nice. This movie definitely doesn't have much of that going for it, but uh, it's got some really good evocative imagery. It's kind of like, oh God. It's, evocative. It's, it, it builds up the tension good. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, but I can definitely see why people wouldn't be a fan of it. It's just like the wrong market for uh, right. this type of movie is people just like, what's this all about? It's going to be like a, a Blumhouse movie, right? Like that type of like style of tension and scares and look and everything like that. This movie doesn't look anything like that stuff. Yeah. So that was good. Uh, hmm. And then for, uh, I watched a piece of shit movie called Star Crash. Um, oh, that, that movie looked awesome. Oh, no. <laughs> This movie's bad. It like uh, uh so Corey, uh, my buddy, he bought this uh, while he was in BC for three bucks at a pawn shop. It's a Roger. Nice. Corman, it's part of the Roger Corman collection, so it's actually like, I don't know, it's like a sixteen dollar DVD usually. I think on Blu-ray, it's like more than that. Uh, it's mm-hmm. like one, it's like one of the legendary like Star Wars knockoffs that came out like the year after Star Wars. Um, and this is the Italian Star Wars knockoff as opposed to a Turkish Star Wars knockoff, which nice. they would just actually called the Turkish one. They just called Star Wars. This is Star Crash. Um, <laughs> this is a movie that will help you appreciate how competent most movies are. Because <laughs> this, oh, this, this, this is the opposite of that. It's just bad in every way. Um, they have got my, my boy, Joe Spinell, who's like kind of like the evil emperor character in it. But for fuck's sakes, they dubbed him over. Like mm. with his like generic accent, like this generic <laughs> bad guy voice, like this. It's like I know what Joe Spinell sounds like. He's got that yeah. New Yorkese kind of thing going on. This guy, oh, it's just so wrong. Uh, there's like the 
Darth Vader looking police officer who's like got a Texan accent. Um, mm-hmm. And oh man, this movie, the, the one dude who's like, uh, he's supposed to be like the a Han Solo kind of character or Luke Skywalker. Uh, guy's like, his name's Marjo something. He has a documentary <laughs> yeah. about him because he actually like when he was a child, he was the evangelical speaker for like, mm-hmm. he was like the revivals. I guess, you know, ripping people off of their money. And then like this, the guy had like kind of a like moment of clarity and realized that what he was doing was bullshit. And he like, like this documentary covers how the, the gimmick worked, like how they just worked all the angles and fleeced people and how easy it is. And then he became an actor and a a not very good actor based on this movie. Uh, David Hasselhoff shows up with a gigantic, gigantic head of hair. Christopher Plummer, Canadian, Canada's own uh, Christopher Plummer. Uh, he's in this as the Emperor of the Galaxy. Um, yeah, well, th- that guy rules. Yeah, uh, yeah. This movie's bad. Don't watch it. Oh. It's just, it is just not worth your time. It's it's crap. Uh, you made it look fun on the Instagram though, so I, yeah. I'm sure some people are gonna watch it now because of how much fun you you had. Yeah. Well. I don't know. I guess I, I value my time too much in this movie. Just like, it's like, you I shouldn't, about, man, I could watch a lot of other movies than star crash. Yeah. Okay. Fair uh, enough. and then in, on more, on some other Netflix things I watched before I wake directed by Mike Flanagan, <gasps> our boy. Yeah. Big Flanagan. Uh, yeah. So I'm like thinking like, well, I watched that. I am pretty things. I've got to watch Mike Flanagan. Another guy who's really good at creating compositions and framing and creating tension and all that. Uh, so before mm-hmm. I wake, uh, I thought this movie was good. Uh, I didn't, nice. I didn't like it as much as I've liked his other stuff, but yeah. I think it comes down to just the story didn't resonate with me as much. It wasn't a badly told story by any means, but it just wasn't like quite like what I liked of his previous mm-hmm. stuff, even though like the themes of like absence and loss are all like all there. Like they're all, it's very much a Mike Flanagan thing, but this actually feels more like a, like prequel to an X-Men movie in some ways. <laughs> Okay. Because it's like about powers. And, uh, uh, and like, it's I thought like, it was it, just a metaphor. Well, this, this would totally fit into like a, it's like a X-Men origin story of like a gotcha. character who like, he when he dreams, things manifest. <laughs> and he, it's like he doesn't have mastery yeah. over it yet. So it has like that sort of vibe. Spoilers, by the way. Because like when I went into this movie, I had no idea that's where it was going. But then I looked on Letterboxd while I was watching it for a second. I went, oh. That's what's happening? Fuck this movie. Like, or not fuck this movie, uh-huh. but fuck, like, Letterbox and the way people write synopsis because they just, like, they sure. explain too much. Because the movie, like, would fit in well with, like, sort of the M. Night Shyamalan universe. Uh, this movie sure. does Split way better than fucking Split did. Um, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well, I think the advice there would just be don't look up uh, synopsis when you're already watching the movie. Uh, but sometimes it's, like, usually you don't expect them to be that, like straight out and just tell you yeah this is what the this is what's happening you're like whoa yeah yeah like, well some people suck yeah uh what else could i throw out about this movie uh so one thing i found frustrating about uh my the the critical reception of this movie is it's like mm-hmm. got a fairly low letterbox rating and it's like totally undeserved um yeah it seems like there's some people who really object to the fact that the movie uh like is an allegory <laughs> Mm-hmm. And the people are like, this movie's got this movie's an allegory that loses a star. Or like, it's like, oh, and then I'm sure these same people yeah. fucking love the Babadook because <laughs> mm. this movie totally fits into that, uh, that, yeah. that that nebula. Uh, 
So I don't know what people have problems with allegories and fucking fictional stories. I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, it makes me upset, yeah. RJ, that people would complain well, about it. Um, well, a lot of people suck. Yeah. Illusions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God well, damn it. We've already determined that we're the coolest and everyone else is dumb. We're the best. We're the uh, best. <laughs> let's see here. I watched The Girl with All the Gifts. This is a movie that I had not really been had been familiar with, but I'd seen it kind of pop uh-huh. up. Just got kind of yeah. a memorable title, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. I guess kind of decided I'll watch it. It's a zombie movie, I guess, and we'll see how yeah. it goes. Uh, this movie was good enough. <laughs> like okay. I don't know, it was like I liked That's it. Pretty glowing it, review yeah, from you. <laughs> it was, yeah, it, was, it didn't blow me away. It's not like an all time yeah. banger. I'm not going to ever watch it again. I don't think. Um, uh-huh. I was like when the movie ended, I was like. Written by Mike Carey. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. Because I, I know Mike, I saw, yeah. and I had to double check it. So Mike Carey that I knew, he was a comics writer for Vertigo Comics back in the day. And he wrote a bunch of Hellblazer and Lucifer comics. And when I was watching yeah. this movie, I was like, oh, this movie's like a Vertigo comic. Like, it's got the same type of mm-hmm. visuals. Um, I think in my review, I mentioned like poor character motivations at times. Um, mm-hmm. It just, it feels like kind of like somewhere between like a Why the Last Man sort of story. Like it'd be like a, it would it would have been like a Vertigo series that ran twenty issues before getting canceled due to low sales. Uh, apparently, Mike okay. Carey wrote a novel. That this was uh, based on. He wrote the screenplay. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, do you know anything about this movie? Uh, I've heard about it okay. a, a bit, but uh, yeah, no, I haven't seen it. So I I know enough about it. It's like uh, rehabilitating zombies or some shit like so, that, right? Uh, the big the big hidden thing that I didn't realize about it was like you know the you know that video game The Last of Us. Uh, yep. That like was yeah, popular yeah. with like fungal yeah. zombies. It's fungal zombies, it's, or it's a fungus that infects people. And then like, so it starts off as zombies, and it's very like the opening like half hour or so is like a good Day of the Dead. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they move to London, so it becomes like Twenty Eight Days Later. <laughs> like it's very, okay. it's very influenced by Twenty Eight Days Later, which I think like yeah. it's kind of a strike against it because because it kind mm-hmm. of feels generic, even though everyone online will tell you that's so original. <laughs> Because um, right. what happens is there's like a generation of children that like were born while their parents got infected, and then mm-hmm. the the babies ate their way out of their wombs, and that's where nice. these babies. But okay, this is my problem with that though is uh, I think we we can all admit that human babies are crap. Where they're like, if you um, took, can the, you clarify? So baby, okay, a human baby cannot like eat its way out of its mother's womb, and then like yeah, it doesn't have teeth. Well, I guess this one does because they're evolving. And then oh. on top of that, what what are they going to do after that? Like they, they're, they're going to die because they're like worthless. Like they can't defend themselves. They can't like move. They just, I guess... they're, they're going to die. So in this movie, somehow these babies like managed to survive. This It's very unclear. I'm sure like because they're like part bacterial, they went, they went into like, I don't know rest mode until they were found i don't fucking know man i just going in blind from your view i mean if they evolved enough to for for teeth to have developed so Mm -hmm. they can bite their way out maybe their like developmental stage has been shortened and then they're not helpless when they come home i mean i don't know i don't care (laughs) i've never seen this movie i'm just spitballing okay anyway this is like a minor thing that i'm just like i didn't think about until like they they mentioned it in the movie and go wait a minute because like they wanted a gnarly image of like what about babies eating their way out of their mother's wombs you don't see any of that it's just like referenced and it's like whoa it's unsettling but like it's like that doesn't make any sense because what's the baby going to do after that they're just going to die because as i said babies are crap 
They're very bad. Like they can't defend themselves. Stu- stupid babies need the most attention. That's right. Uh, so the movie just proceeds. Uh, it, it would actually have made like a really cool like Swamp Thing like relaunch because it's all about yeah like fun- a single issue fun- fungus. Ah, it could have been like a mini series, just like sure. with like like half like floral babies and stuff like that and like and like feral plant babies and stuff like that that eat mammals and stuff like that it would totally fit in with like that type of world so i think i'm pretty sure that's where mike carey might have had this idea initially and then he said well i don't need swamp thing in it i'll just make the story itself and then he got a movie made but i i also discovered though that another like comics alumni from like the 2000s also had a movie come out recently and that was atomic blonde which i had no idea was apparently based on a oni graphic novel that nobody read and nobody even knows this. Weird. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then, like, the reviews I've read about it is like, this movie is like, this comic's really boring. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. there you go. There you go. So, why did they adapt this boring comic into a movie? Because movie studio producers are dum dums. Mm. Uh, hey, I was just thinking, um, not when Scott Snyder was writing Swamp Thing, whoever came after, I can't remember who it was. Uh, he did a thing where it was called the gray and it was like fungal stuff where like, um, wait, no, it was the guy. Um, he's Scott Snyder's like best friend. Uh, Tinian? no, no, no. Um, he's like his running buddy. This guy like actually made some pretty good comics for a while. He does. A, I think it's like letter 44. Look up letter oh, 44. Charles Soul. Charles Soul, Yeah. Charles Soul wrote swamp thing after, Scott Snyder did. Yep. And Charles Soule did a, a pretty cool, like his whole storyline uh, from start to finish. It was about like different worlds. Like Swamp Thing was from the green yep. and like Anton Arcane is from, uh, what is the he? Rot. The rot. Yeah. Yeah. So then he had like an area called the gray, which was in between where it mm. was like fungal things that like, they're not the green anymore yeah. and they're not like rotted they're not, death. Yeah, they're not death. They're, they're, between, they're yeah. just kind of in between. And, uh, they were a character in his stories. Like he, he did that. And then he did thing where it was like technology. They had their own like avatar now because it had become a popular hmm. thing. So, yeah. uh, yeah, Charles soul swamp thing was pretty good. And it's kind of, it's not like fungal zombies, but he did fungal <laughs> stuff. So you, you uh, might be interested in that. Yeah. Uh, God, I've got like three more movies I want to mention. <laughs> well, well, I went pretty long on Dark Tower. Okay. Uh, do you want to just burn them out? I don't care. Okay. If other people care, skip it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna finish. Okay. So very quickly, okay. I watched uh, a 19th. So I, I watched a whole bunch of westerns like the other day. Uh, nice. Because it's western. Finally. It's, yeah. Finally. Uh, I'll, I watched One Eye Jack, which is a Criterion. I won't get into too much. The movie's great. Uh, we'll talk about it ten years from now. Uh, cool. I watched this movie with John Wayne. Uh, called The Big Trail from 1930. Ooh. So my expectations going into this is like, ah, uh, it's going to be old, stodgy, Western, maybe with some cool scenes, and uh, that's about all it'll be. Oh, man, this movie's two hours long. Oh, God. And then I started watching it, and then I'm like, oh, what the fuck? There's something wrong with this picture. Why is it so wide? Like, this is movies from 1930. Everything in 1930 was shot full frame. And it's like, I knew yeah. there's some sound, but then I'm like looking at the picture. And I'm like, wait, nothing. it's not stretched out. 
the font like is the right size. And I was like looking at the the depth of focus, the the deep focus, RJ. And this movie looks like fucking amazing. And then I'm Ooh. like, so I started like immediately going online to read about this. I'm like, what am I watching? And it's like, okay, so this is like so for 1930s, it's directed by Raoul Walsh. Um, it was the first or one of the first movies that was like shot on location with sound. So they are like, it's 1930, it's groundbreaking technology. And the idea of going out to like the desert to go record people while you're filming stuff, kind of difficult to do. Um, mm-hmm. And on top of that, this movie was also shot with like a, like a specific camera that shot 70 millimeter, just like uh, old Christopher Nolan does these days. And mm-hmm. uh, so this movie, like, so in an era where like there were, people weren't shooting this way, the movie's like actually like presented in like widescreen in 1930, which is like, is a thing that doesn't happen to like 1954 otherwise. Cause it becomes the, right. whatever the Academy standard size. Um, and so, yeah, this movie just looks incredible. It's all like real actors and like real like stage coaches and just people standing around milling about in the background. Like every shot just looks so authentic. Uh, it looks mm-hmm. like it's like during like in the 18th, 18- 30s when they're rushing out to the west to claim land and early homesteaders fighting the engines all that stuff um the movie yeah. itself is like kind of not the most interesting uh john wayne's performance is like pretty bad like he's he hasn't he hasn't started working with john ford yet so he hasn't like hit his stride and become like a really great like personality because the character mm-hmm. is kind of off for him but this movie is worth watching just for like the, the visuals like it look you've never seen a movie look this good from this period of time like, I don't even know if I've seen, like, very many movies that, like, look this astonishing nowadays. Like, it looks great. Like, that's, like, the highest praise I can probably leap on this movie. That, like, at the end of the day is, like, not the best story, but really good. Like, just from, like, wow, watching a movie. What's, sounds good. I, I, I'm going to check that, but puppy yeah. yeah. Uh And another Netflix. This one, this one was a dud. Beyond the Gates. Directed oh. by Jackson Stewart, uh, who's like yeah. seems to be friends with a, quite a few podcast people. Atlas Jackson Stewart. I've never met the guy. He seems really nice yeah. and like he's fairly knowledgeable. Uh, this movie is not mm-hmm. good. It's like bad. Like I thought, like yeah. it wasn't as maybe it wasn't as bad as I might have. I think I gave it like two stars. But then I realized that like I think this movie. I don't know. It's not even as good as The Void. And The Void, I gave two stars. So, I don't know. The actors are bad. The movie doesn't go anywhere. It takes, it just goes on and on and on. Kind of like uh, certain podcasts. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, the the movie's not good. Don't watch it. So, would you say that those other podcasts that endorse this movie, are they just... Frauds. 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 You can't take their word for things when it comes to their friends, which is... I gotcha. don't know. Like if RJ, if you made a movie, I'm sure it wouldn't probably be very good just because in all, in yep. all reality, yep. like it probably like all stars against you. It's just not going to be that great. Mm-hmm. But I'd be like, yeah, RJ, I thought it was really great. Like we'd be talking about oh, it. Yeah. You wouldn't, but maybe like <laughs> someone else would, you would just be like, man, your stuff sucks. Generally, I just go out of my way of not talking about things. I don't want to talk about with people. I know. Yeah. I just kind of go, yeah, I watched it. And then I just leave it at that and then move on. That's the best way of uh, getting through life sometimes mm-hmm. uh and then i watched the neon demon Ooh, and uh, watched keanu the- reeves yep being a greasy like motel manager guy uh f- forcing women to kind of like semi-flate uh his hunting knife in a bedroom yeah uh this movie uh as i kind of talked about shin godzilla 
uh, there was a point in time where I was like, Neon Demon is like the real deal. This movie is awesome. Like, I, I'm really liking this movie because uh, me and me, old Nicholas Weinenreffen, he and yeah. I have a history. Um, yeah, you don't like him, right? Well, I'm mixed on him. So I've seen his pusher movies. The first two are just like kind of Tarantino knockoffs. Uh, the third one's really good, I think. It's the second or third one that's really good. Actually, I think it's the second one that's good because that's the one with um, Hannibal. Uh, that's like okay. that's, yeah. yeah, with Hugh Dancy, Mad, Mads. Mad, oh, Mads Mickelson. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, oh, uh, Valhalla Rising. Uh, not that one. Uh, that that that's another one where it's like, no, this is a little ponderous, isn't it? Oh. Uh, his movie Bronson is good with yeah, old yeah. Tom Hardy. I like that yeah. one. Uh, mm-hmm. Valhalla was like a little bit on the. Meh, I don't know. I don't really like. It's a nice looking movie, but I'm not a huge huge fan of it. Uh, Drive. I was never that big a fan of. Um, the soundtrack is yeah, you're really okay. good, but yeah, everyone else likes that movie, but me, I guess. I just think it's like I've seen all the movies that Nicholas Reffens watched, and I'm like, yeah, well, now you're just ripping them off, buddy. Uh, there was the his one line in the uh, Jodorowsky's Dune where he says, "I flipped through the manuscript and I can tell you that it's like the greatest movie that's ever not been made" or something. Like that. And oh, it's just like yeah. this guy's such a dipshit. I fucking hate him. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he doesn't do anyone any favors by saying things like that. Um, well, it's it's like no one else will ever see that. So like whatever he said can't even be contested. It's just like, well, I'm never going to see that script, so I guess your opinion is all we have. Yeah. So Drive puts him on the map. And then he yeah. directs that God Only Knows, right? That's the one with the... Oh, uh, yeah, whatever that fucking thing was. Only yeah. God Forgives. Only God Forgives, that's it. Yeah. Uh, that I turned that movie off after about oh. a half hour. I just, I, fuck, I fucking hated it. I, I hated it so bad, RJ. Nice. It's like Beyond the Black Rainbow, <laughs> oh. uh, where it's like, I fucking hate this. This, this, is, okay. this is such bullshit. It's just like, yeah. this is like not worth my time at all. I wouldn't like that either then. No. And then there's the Neon Demon. Mm. And I saw so many people I follow on Letterboxd. They all like this movie. Some really don't. But you never know. And I'm like, well, I might as well watch it. It sounds like it's up my alley. Uh, It starts off where I was like, hmm, this is sort of in the same camp as like kind of David Lynch's current Twin Peaks. And I'm like, well, you know, why do I give David Lynch the benefit of the doubt? Maybe I should give this Nicholas Winding Refn the benefit of the doubt. Like they're basically in the same ballpark. I mean, they're both like it's like a Mulholland Drive-esque kind of story, like about a young starlet who comes to Los Angeles. And it's just like essentially it's like these supermodels as like like literally at one point like necrophiliacs and cannibals that just feed off of beauty Mm, um yeah it's so it's super subtle um and i don't know the movie is like very well photographed um i've seen a lot of people reference black swan with this movie but i don't i didn't Mm. think of black swan at all i don't think black swan looks near as good as this yeah um but at the same time i'd watch black swan again and i would not want to watch neon demon again I don't know, man. This movie just like kept going. Like it's it's one of those things where you hit the time code. Like how much longer is this movie? Oh god damn it! I'm only halfway through it, and right. it just keeps going. And then I lost interest completely. Um, there's nothing. I don't know. I've seen too yeah. much ghoul shit in my life to be like really like grossed out by like a woman that like is like kind of like the beautician at a mortician's place who like dresses right. up dead bodies afterwards and starts making out with it and like finger banging herself. I'm not that upset by those scenes. I'm just kind of like, whatever I've seen it. I've seen it done yeah. before. I've seen, uh, yeah, I've watched those, uh, fuck aftermath. 
I, I've seen that oh, thing. Yeah. That 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 that's some gnarly stuff right there because this is like soft sure. and like looks like a photo spread. Um, and then oh, she just vomited up an eyeball. Oh, they ate her. Oh, who cares? <sighs> Uh, well, I'll watch it one day, but yeah. now I know how you feel, so. Yeah, there was, uh, oh yeah, Girl with the, All the Gifts. Yeah, that's not an RJ movie, by the way. There's some, there's some. Real, oh, really? There's some bullshit. Well, it's not like, there's no actual animals being hurt, but there's like, like, why, why did they need to have that in there? Why, uh, why does she have that, to eat the cat? Why, why, why is she using that yeah. dog as bait? Like, fuck this movie. Fuck this, fuck this monster. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, that was in my Netflix list, but I'm gonna take it off now because fuck that. I that that's bad. The yep. bad only bad movies do things like that. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yep. I'll shut up. Okay. Yeah, do we, do hit your news. Yeah. Hit your news now. Uh, only thing I heard is that uh, Tim Miller, the guy who did Deadpool, is gonna make a Neuromancer movie. Okay. From well. the William Gibson book, I uh, I read that book. Yeah. Or I audio booked it, and it, um, there was a lot of technical jargon I didn't understand. So uh, that's interesting. They've been yeah. trying to make that for a long time. Yeah, we'll, he's a weird pick for it. Yeah, but we'll, we'll see if anyways. it happens. Yeah. What about you, dog? Uh, fuck. I was just skimming something. Oh, uh, net, uh there was like hilarious stuff about Netflix. Uh, how they they just bought the like f- rights to like Miller World properties, which is uh, Mark Miller's um like stuff like so he's already made movies like based on his stuff like wanted kick-ass uh kingsman but so it's like well they just bought the rights to the other stuff that isn't already Mm -hmm. in production so things like superior and nemesis Mm -hmm. and a bunch of other stuff you've never heard of because you don't work at a comic book store uh listener uh anyway this is like kind of like i thought was kind of weird and like oh netflix just wasting more money and this announcement doesn't Mm -hmm. really mean anything but then the next day came the story that like disney is pulling all its movies off of netflix in like a Mm -hmm. year and a half and they're going to create their own streaming service um so i don't know I don't know. We'll see what happens in the world of streaming. Uh, I think inevitably the way that like things go, it's, it's Netflix is going to be bought by somebody and yeah, it won't matter. Obviously I think mm-hmm. Disney is making, is going to do its own thing until Netflix, until, becomes, they, buy Netflix? until they buy Netflix or maybe they get uh, swept up by Apple or something like that. Mm-hmm. Something along those lines. Yeah. yeah. I agree with you. I thought you were going to talk about that fresh news that the Cohen brothers were going to Netflix. Oh, yeah. Did you hear that? For uh, the Western anthology? Oh, I, yeah, I saw something about Western stuff, but I didn't realize it was a Netflix thing. Yep. Hmm. So, yeah. Anyways, we've talked forever, so why don't yep. we... Uh, shut up. Let's, let's shut up. Shut up. Yeah. Uh, after the break, um, our cat outs us cause, while we're hiding in an alley. Ooh.
third man, hated by a thousand men, desired by one woman. The third man, hanging is too good for him. Nothing is too good for the third man. Her man was the third man. The man on every woman's lips. Vienna, 1950, a city fearful of its present, uncertain of its future. Vienna, the once gay capital of a light-hearted people. Here in the shadows of its palaces and ruins is told with tenderness, drama, and suspense. The story of the third man. There was a third man there. I suppose that doesn't sound peculiar to you. I'm not interested in whether a racketeer like Lyme was killed by his friends or by an accident. The only important thing is that he's dead. Third Man, the story of two men and one woman caught in the dangerous web of an international love affair. Oh, please, for heaven's sake, stop making him in your image. Harry was real. He wasn't just your friend and my lover. No, I don't know. I'm just a hack writer who drinks too much and... Falls in love with girls. You? Me? Don't be such a fool, of course. The Third Man. Joseph Cotton in his most successful performance as an American caught in a whirlpool of continental intrigue. The glamorous valley is the mysterious Viennese actress who knew the secret of The Third Man. And we're back. And tonight, finally, we're talking about The Third Man from 1949, directed by Carol Reed. Tagline for the film, hunted by men, sought by women. In the synopsis from Letterboxd, set in post-war Vienna, Austria, The Third Man stars Joseph Cotton as Holly Martins, a writer of pulp westerns who arrives penniless as a guest of his childhood chum, Harry Lyme, only to find out he's dead. Martin uh, develops a th- uh, conspiracy theory after learning <laughs> of a quote-unquote third man present at the time of Harry's death, running into interference from British officer Major Calloway and falling head over heels for Harry's grief-stricken lover, Anna. Hmm. That's it. That That's all that happens in this movie. Yes, that is quite that, true that is something that happens in the movie i suppose uh uh-huh. um anyway so third man uh again digging deep back into my past with the criterion collection uh this i think i watched for the first time on videotape because it was like this really well regarded movie by like roger ebert and stuff like that it appears on lots of best of lists uh mm-hmm. it's, it's black and white it looks noiry. uh the i think like the the Criterion DVD. It's got like the uh, Orson Welles on the cover. Like spoiler alert. <laughs> um, uh huh. So yeah, it's just one of those movies that I'd always, I wanted to watch, and I watched it back when. Thought it was pretty neat, and uh, I liked it for the most part. It's not like one of my favorite movies by any means. It's not like I have to mm-hmm. like feel like I need to watch The Third Man tonight. That doesn't cross my mind ever. Uh, so it's been yep. a, it's been a while since I've watched this movie, and uh, mm-hmm. 
for this episode. We watched it, and uh, I feel pretty well the same way. I think this movie's mm-hmm. good. Uh, I have no real problems with it at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's probably most iconic for like two things. Uh, one is the score, the uh, the, yeah. z- the zither, uh, mm-hmm. which like is pretty cool. It's pretty awesome how it's yep. used, all the variations of it, et cetera, et cetera. And the other thing is like Orson Welles' big speech at the kind of like near the mm. end of the second act about, about cuckoo clocks. Uh, everyone, yeah. you know, if you look up this movie, everyone talks about the cuckoo clock speech. And now uh, sure. Graham Greene, who wrote the movie, wrote the book that's based, that turned into the movie, he's like a very famous writer of spy stuff. Everyone talks about Graham Greene. Uh, mm. And he's, he says it was all Orson Welles, because Orson Welles is a genius, RJ, as discussed <gasps> uh, when we talked about Citizen Kane ages ago. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'll. That's my quick thoughts on the third man. I've got more to say, but RJ, I throw it at the ball to you. What did you think of the third man here on your first viewing? I made a mistake, and I watched the sixth man, starring Marlon Wayans, as a recently deceased brother of a college basketball player who comes back to help them win the NCAA championship. <laughs> Uh, my thoughts on that movie are it's a certified classic. Uh, everybody likes it. I watched it when I was a little kid on the VHS all the time, and it is a good movie. Huh. But, you know, I'm stalling for time because it's a short episode. Um, <laughs> oh, see, I thought maybe you'd watch The Fourth Man, directed by Paul Verhoeven by accident. No. My joke stands. I was talking uh, about I, The Sixth I'm aware. Man. I know. There's like, okay. oh, is there a fifth man? There's possibly. There, you look that up. There's a fifth wave, which was uh, written by Kim Alien Goldsman. There is an alien movie. There is a novel, a futuristic yeah. Christian novel. Oh, nice. It's, that's the kind of stuff we should get into. The Anyways, second. Uh, I did watch this movie, Jarrett, for the first time. What's the second man about? Uh, it looks like some sort of uh, uh, John Grissom kind of court drama book. Is there a the man? Well, you mean like the first man? Uh, yeah. There is an Albert Camus novel. Okay. And then there's the first men, which uh, are characters of in uh, Game of Thrones. And there is a movie called First Man that's coming out in 2018 about Neil Armstrong. Oh, well, I guess that's something that exists. And then there's the Seven Seal. Oh, there you go. Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, I watched this for the first time. Uh, I don't think I've seen any of this guy, Carol Reed's movies. So Probably not. We'll, we'll, I don't know we'll, what that we'll, means, we'll, but... We'll watch another one one day, Odd Man Out. That's in the collection. Yeah. Cool. Uh, <laughs> that came off cold, or callous, but it, it, it wasn't meant to. And I have talked about him before, because he directed Oliver. Oh, right, right, The right. musical of Oliver Twist. Yeah. This guy, this Carol Reed. Um, so first time watch, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, there were some times where there were dips and walls, and I was like, hmm, I don't know why this movie gets all that great buzz. And then there would be another scene that was really cool, and I'd be like, oh, okay, I guess. Like, I get it. Um, that's all to say, I didn't love it. I don't think I'm, I might watch this again one day. I don't know if I will, though. Um, I did think it was really good. I thought they did some cool stuff. Uh, I think the best part that I liked the most was 
I think they do this like dynamic camera where they don't really use the same shots over. Do you so know what that's called, RJ? No. <laughs> what is that called? Uh, some call it the the uh, Dutch angle. Oh, I believe I'm, I'm, Dutch cant angle. Oh my god, it's like that oh man. If you read about they, this, if you read about this movie. People okay. Well, love I to don't talk want to. It. Okay. Well, anyways, as a guy who had no idea what that was, I did pick up on it. I guess so I was like, oh, that's neat, uh, because it's like two guys talking, but then whenever it switches back, it's a different angle, and I was like, mm. cool, cool. Uh, so I liked that. Did it make you um, feel that uh, this was a world out of sorts? No. Nope. No, I didn't feel that. And uh, I did. I just barely. I don't I don't look up reviews for the movies before we talk about them. Mm -hmm. But I was just on the letterbox page and I just saw like a couple of the top ones. And a lot of them were like uh, expertly tense and suspenseful. And I was like, not really. No. I was like, maybe in like 1912 when this fucking movie came out. Um it uh i didn't think it was like suspenseful at all i thought this movie was like really like uh like seinfeldy like like guys like oh no like gets into like weird yeah. situations yeah um the first thing i actually wrote down like in the intro when they're explaining like the way the city works i was like is this wes anderson <laughs> because i feel uh you know, I mean, foreshadowing, but I was like, I feel like this is a movie that he fucking loves because there's kind of the montage where it's like in the city, there are these people and there are these people. And then it's like quick shots of yeah. close ups of things happening and then like wide shots. And yeah. I was like, this and, is like a Wes Anderson and, and movie. There's, and there's also sort of like the uh, ironic statements of like, and then some people don't wind up doing well for themselves. And there's this body floating in the water and stuff like that. Yeah. No, like the movie like absolutely is like, it, it, it is very uh, comedic. Like it's like, and, and yep. I think that's, and it's totally intentional. So I mean, this idea that's like a great suspenseful thriller, it's like, no, no it's no. not. The zither, like some people, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the people who ate that zither, but. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I didn't think it was suspenseful at all. I thought it was like fun. Like it's kind of like a bubbly movie because it's you don't ever really feel like there's any danger there. I don't know if you're supposed to. Yeah. Like maybe at like the end, maybe when Orson uh, Orson Welles almost pushes that dude out of the <laughs> the the Ferris, uh, mirror, the Ferris wheel. But other than that, I was like, no, it's like a bubbly like. Uh, quirky detective yeah. movie and i was yeah, like yeah. It, it really did remind me of wes anderson i was like i bet he loves this shit yeah well because like this movie like i was looking at it and i'm like oh it totally fits between like so there was like sort of like the hitchcock 30 spy stuff so like stuff we yep. already talked about like 39 steps um lady vanishes uh, yeah, and yeah. then like it's kind of bookended by charade which uh is like mm -hmm. a decade after this and but the, all all those movies are like spy movies to various mm -hmm. degrees, or like espionage or kind of like underworld, and uh, right. but they're also like fairly comedic, like they're light at time for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, this actually reminded me of Thirty Nine Steps a lot because to the point where I I thought that some of the same some of the sets might have been even the same because there's where he like goes up to give that speech. I was like, is that the same area that was in 39 Steps? No. It really looks like it, it, it. Well, I think it's just maybe similarity of like architecture because this actually was shot on location in Vienna. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Not in yeah, jolly so old England. Jolly England? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so like I, I thought 39 Steps too. I thought it was very similar to that. Um, I don't know. Like I thought it looked really good, and oh, yeah. I did like the score. I liked the use of it throughout. I liked the, as you called them, uh, Dutch rudder angles and all those <laughs> things. Um, uh, like I liked all that, and I thought like the story was interesting enough. Like it's, it didn't seem. Like I know that's probably something that's been copied a lot that I've probably seen a lot. But when I was watching it, I didn't feel burdened by it, like being like sometimes when we watch these movies, it's like, ah, man, I've seen this story so much. And it's like, I'm sure this is the original one, but it's so played out by this point, like popular culture has diminished my enjoyment of these things. Right. Well, I know I've talked about other movies like that before on this. Like, like, cause is there, was show. there any point? Cause you've seen this movie for the first time. Was there any point where yeah. you're like, Oh, Harry Lyme's dead. Like other than you were told that you're like, no, no. I'm pretty sure he's Orson no. Welles. Cause I haven't seen him in this yet. And he's going to yeah. show up. So all this like yeah. is, cause he doesn't show up till a good hour or so into the movie. That's like yeah. when he gets the big reveal with the kitty. So, yeah, I guess it's one of those Matrix moments where it's like ignorance is bliss because yeah. it's like if you didn't know who Orson Welles was, you would have never been expecting him, I guess. Yeah. But would that, and then would maybe that scene would have, have the same gravitas you. other than like the music's really good when they do the reveal and he's like he's like bemused, mm-hmm. caught me in an, the, an act sort of thing. I don't know. No, I just like the kitty. Yeah, that's a good cat. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say if uh, if we don't do the kitty for the picture, uh, I one of my notes was soup lady, and I timestamped it. So this was uh, as we've forgot to do last week. My ta- timestamp for this movie we've was actually forgot to do it for the last two movies. Well, that's what happens when I suggest something; it well, gets forgotten but, easily. You know, but the reason me. why is because I have not timestamped any time-stamped. of the last two movies because they've all been right. so good. Um, that that being yeah. said. Go yeah, when was what was your timestamp for this movie? One hour and twenty minutes, because okay. I was curious, because it was uh, during the Ferris wheel uh, speech. Because I was, uh, like, I was yeah. like, "How long into the movie is this scene?" Is this? And I was like, yeah. "Oh, okay, that's like." And there's only twenty minutes of the movie after that. And you're like, "Okay, so Orson Welles is like barely in this movie, where like he defines mm-hmm. he's the title character by God." Right. So, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I um I timestamped at thirty six. See, you know what? Skype, Skype, Skype doesn't want to hear it. Skype does not want they, to hear what you said. Cut that out again. At. Yeah, Skype. Skype is editing you, man. Okay. Well, I, I, damn it, I will be heard. It was thirty-six minutes and fifty seconds because I, at that point I wrote a note that said "soup lady," because I think there's a really funny scene where it just shows a lady eating soup, and I was like, I like that, and I want to make a note of this. Okay. So that's my that's my hot timestamp was uh, when a lady was eating soup. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, that's what, so what I was saying, like, I don't feel like the story is too, uh, like, I didn't, I didn't find it, like, overly predictable in, like, a native way. Mm. Like, I, I enjoyed watching it, and even at points where it's like, I think it will turn out like this, and then, like, some of those things do turn out, and you're like, okay. Uh, it didn't really bring me down. Um, <laughs> it, didn't. I, it didn't bring me down. Uh, I don't know. Like my my point is, I enjoyed it, but um, like I think it was good. I just don't really love it. That's right. all. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, yeah, I can't say that I love it either. Um, I think I think it's a I mean it's a really good movie, but like it's like not one of those movies where it's like one of my 
favorites by any means. And I know it's some people's favorites. And then I also know some people don't love this movie. Um, the one thing I wanted to check with you, though, is have you seen Casablanca? Yes. Okay. I thought that movie was very par. Three out of five. Okay. So I would say that with Casablanca, that movie gets better. Uh, you actually gave it three and a half stars, RJ. Okay. Um, so that, uh, that's yeah. a movie that gets better the more you watch it and like maybe understand the context that it was made in. Like, cause I, I, I was, my, uh, no, it's true. Like when I was watching the best picture winners of that period of time and I went back and watched that movie, that was a lot late early last year. I was like, Oh, this movie finally clicks with me. I finally get it. Okay. Cause I just didn't understand like the, the world it was set in. And that's kind of like, sure. I don't know. I think that's going to be a problem that that movie has, but like, anyway, it has nothing to do with that. Yeah. So this, but I found that like third man is very Casablanca in its style because there's like yeah. the same sort of like uh, authority character. That's kind of like, hindering sure. and also assisting the main character there's a woman that belongs to another man and the main character is never going to have her there's mm-hmm. sort of these slimy scumbags that are hanging around there's like an undercurrent of like the black market in a war slat or in this movie post-war mm-hmm. environment and like that's the other thing that's kind of neat about this movie is like it shot like what five years after like or god not even like three four years after world war ii's just ended so like the destruction of vienna and like like the just buildings just crushed all over the place that's all very real like that's exactly what the movie looks like uh carol reed the director and uh, graham green the writer they're both like in this field (laughs) they are both Mm -hmm. like in the intelligence and so they they knew what they're talking about they they did their time so the movie has that uh grimness i guess that you would expect is sort of like that post-war generation um but but but, yep. but it's done with a smile on the face and that's why i like about that score that zither string um mm-hmm. that just like totally like makes this movie um i guess i was reading from uh, ebert's great movie essay that uh i guess carol reed had to fight the producer old david o selznick on everything that keeps this movie from being forgotten in a week so mm. just like all like the little decisions like having the score the way it is the lead actor um mm-hmm. It's like all like the ending of the movie, all the stuff that he's like, no, we have to keep it like this. We got to do it like this. And he's like, no, the producer, of course, is like fighting on it. So this movie could have been a dark tower of its time. <laughs> a movie that yeah. nobody cared about and no one went to see mm-hmm. or, or no one talks about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's actually a good example when you brought up Casablanca. That's what I was saying. Like that I was underwhelmed by it because when I watched it, I was like, man, I've seen like every scene in this movie parodied or like copied in other movies and it really kind of took away from the impact of the movie itself it's like i know exactly what's going to happen in this fucking movie i've never even seen it i just know it from seeing it in other places right where so like in the third man there were there were things like that it's like yeah i know kind of this game but uh, it didn't really it didn't affect me negatively so i guess that's a that's a good thing Mm mm-hmm I think yeah. uh, I think Terry Gilliam likes this movie because there's like a couple of uh, uh, Brazil references in this. Oh, yeah, because yeah, yeah. uh, what, what's his name? Uh, Charles Kion's character. Uh, he's Harry mm-hmm. Lime, as well as like the yep. uh, the the hard British man who means no harm kind of character. Like right. the because there's like uh, the one sergeant who's like very nice and he's like I've read your books, <laughs> and mm-hmm. but he'll punch you out if you do anything if you step out of line. He'll like put the boots to you, um, which is very right. similar to those uh, the SWAT team. Um, black beggar guys that are in Brazil who are having their very casual conversation who are like trying to uh, tell Jonathan Pierce to calm down please sir please sit <laughs> down and they just mm-hmm. them the fuck out and go back to their conversation um, very English that English uh, yeah 
yeah. I, I think I also liked his bit though, where he's, they're talking about the the Hindu dances, uh, where it's like they call mm-hmm. it the striptease. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's like yeah, just like I don't know. I always love watching movies like this because they have such great character actors everywhere. Where you're just like mm-hmm. these people are just like not anyone in particular. You, you wouldn't necessarily remember them unless you watch a lot of movies from the same, like, couple, like, five-year window and be like, oh, it's that guy. He's, like, this, yep. like, he's that scumbag. He's, one, he's like, the doctor. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, like, there's so many great variety of faces, whereas nowadays um, when movies get made, it's, like, the same people for, like, a decade, and it's always the same actors. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's, like, oh, let's get Michael Shannon for that. And it's just, like, oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, people love Michael Shannon. They 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 do. Yeah, so I get it. What, what did you, what did you think of the uh, the old penicillin scam? That's kind of a new one. Oh yeah, I was thinking uh, meningitis vaccinations. Oh shit. Um, yeah, that was a that was a little bit new for me. I don't know how you water down penicillin, but I guess there's a way to do it. Jesus. What are you doing over there? Quit moving your microphone. I'm not even doing anything, man. <laughs> You're so sensitive. I listened to the last episode. I didn't hear my mic moving, so. Okay. You listeners out there, you let me know if what I do upsets you. The animal. The, the audacity. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so yeah. I, I, I don't even you, what were we talking I, about? I guess you take the, pen, the penicillin and you mix it up with some baking soda, and then you give it out to those kids that need it, and then they all become monsters that can't even be yeah. shot on film. It's like cutting Coke and crack with a uh, baking soda. Yeah. What a world to, what a time to be alive, Jared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, is that enough for you to like, be like, we got to put this guy behind bars, this guy who's faked his death. We, he killed his buddy. He's buried him and thinking that everyone, he's dead. And he's just overall hanging out with the Russians. I mean, probably. Yeah. Like he killed people, right? Yeah. He's so... a real, he's a bad dude. So like, yes. <laughs> but what if it was, what if it was me? Oh, I wouldn't even. I would. I would do it myself. Like I would kill the people and then f- tell them it was you, <laughs> just to get you out of here. Yeah. So uh, yeah, in a heartbeat, man. Yeah. You're you're gone. Um, oh, uh, another thing was the writing on the window a la Lady Vanishes because there's a bit where he breathes on the window and he writes Anna in it. And I was like, oh, is that going to be how yeah. they say, look, he's alive? No, that, that was just me misremembering things because that didn't even happen in Lady yeah. Vanishes. It was more just like, oh, she really was real like because she left that there and that proves it yeah. for him for those two characters. Yeah. And it, it was like, what if that's how it ended, though? At the end, it was just like, Harry Lyme was really dead. Mm-hmm. You were killing all these people. You, the audience. You, the audience. Uh, You're the real monster. But So, yeah, uh, the final chase in this movie is really good, though. Like, yeah, it's in the, pretty in, dope. In the, in the sewers of Vienna, it's, like, pretty awesome, beautifully shot. I don't even know, like, you got to imagine, like, hauling those cameras down. Uh, Chanel actually mentioned, yeah. pointed this out because she, like, kind of, like, was coming and going throughout the movie. And then she, like, sat down and watched that whole sequence because she was just, like, marveling at, like, man, they're, like, shooting this in sewers. And they're, like, shooting, mm-hmm. like, this with massive cameras in, like, the, all that moisture. And it still looks so great. And mm-hmm. it works so well. Uh, and then, yeah, the the big final shot where things all come full circle with the movie, uh, with him leaving the um, cemetery with uh, Anna walking behind. And then he's like, no, I can't end okay. like this. And then he stops and the camera just stops and the scene plays out so great. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's a really great moment. And it's probably why people do talk about this movie so much is sometimes if you end the movie with just the right note, which most movies like struggle to do to this day. 
because usually they mm-hmm. i don't know if they th- bruce willis drinking in a bar by himself um <laughs> death wish style yeah yeah uh, unbreakable well, that's, style that's sad yeah. oh god so yeah this movie's got a great ending final chase so all mm-hmm. those factors like i don't know i like this movie but i don't know it's like it's, it's not my type of story at the end of the day i guess yeah, yeah. no that's kind of how i i felt like i liked it i just uh you know i'm not in like with it Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Uh, that's how you millennials talk, I guess, these days. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah no, I, I like it. I think it's a good movie. I just don't love it. That's all. Yeah. So. And great. I also liked the uh, one comment or the review on Letterboxd you liked. Oh, yeah. Actually, I was going to bring this up for who hates this movie. Is that where we're at now? Yeah, we're going to talk about who hates so, this movie. So my personal favorite, there's a guy I follow on Letterboxd called Justin taught Katzen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I believe he has very similar taste to us, to us. Um, <laughs> he usually likes similar movies we like. Anyways, uh, his review was just more like the turd man. And <laughs> that is grade a quality humor. That's really good. <laughs> I like that quite a bit. Well, we'll see. So, if, uh, uh, how, how did you respond with that? Uh, uh, I was over at Corey's house uh, when I read that, and I shared <laughs> it with uh, Corey and Lawrence, and they both just laughed. And Corey's like, "That's a troll. That's a troll." <laughs> yeah. Uh, even if it's not, if that's his honest to god review, I like it. I dig it. Yeah, that's super funny. Okay, so yeah. here we got a pointing chariot. He gave this movie two stars. And there's not that many uh, really, really negative ones on this movie. That are actually that yeah. actually have uh, reviews that are worth reading. Uh, yeah, okay. There are quite a few decent shots, but the overbearing and repetitive score, that singularly irritable zither track, yikes, ruins the film at all, at all every turn. <laughs> a complete tonal mess, especially palpable during the sewer chase at the end. Wallace has a few snappy lines, but the quality of the acting and the writing is otherwise unremarkable. Characterize, characterization feels lacking. A lot of the characters seem to behave in a very labored way and act according to the dubious motives. Cotton's character looks like he's being dragged along. Not a much to the other story <laughs> other than a few... Pl- yeah, I'm reading what Reddit wrote. Uh, not a much to the story other than a few plot twists that generate as much tension and suspense as would the opening of a box of cereal. Just doll. Okay. Um, okay. Sometimes I go back and read some of my old reviews where I didn't like proofread and I wrote them late at night and I'm like, God damn, this is horrible. But uh, I'm on someone else's podcast getting made fun of. Yeah. Yeah. People who can't Mm -hmm. write a letterbox. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Whatever. This person didn't like the movie, but I always love these people who have to get some pithy comment about this movie's got as much suspension as opening a box of cereal. <laughs> as they raise their pinky to their side of their mouth. It's like, get over yourself, nerd. Nerd. Uh, nerd. Rats and King gave this movie two stars as well. Uh, I really didn't like this movie. The story was beyond basic and predictable. <laughs> beyond. Ew. The acting wasn't that good besides Orson Welles. <laughs> and the music, oh my God, the music in this movie did not fit the tone and story of the movie at all, in my opinion, and really got on my nerves. I don't think that's right. I think it all fit fairly well. Uh, which is not fair because the music is actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. 
The music was good and I thought it really fit the tone of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine the movie without that music. Like, that music is is fantastic. Uh, I've seen a few people mention that they found it weird listening to it because it's, I guess, like the same music as in SpongeBob SquarePants. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, I, maybe... Well, I, what does that mean? What? Why, how is that like SpongeBob's... Because they, they... I'm ha- confused. They, they've used that... That music does get used in SpongeBob SquarePants, and they just think of SpongeBob SquarePants when they watch this movie Oh. Now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's like a... It's a classic piece of music. Old uh, Anthony Kiras score. Anton Kiras. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. It's music. Um, music gets used in all sorts of things. Uh, but it did not yeah. fit the tone at all, and the movie kept beating you over the head with it, which was so annoying. I expected much more from this movie and just was very disappointed. I'm disappointed in the quality of comments that are on uh They're all the same. This thing. Everyone hates the score. Yeah, it's all the same. Or they talk about you know, that's the, the trend that we find, hey? Yeah. A lot of people just glob off of each other. Oh, well, the riff track said this. <laughs> Shut up, nerds. <laughs> yeah, otherwise Bully RJ will punch you. Yeah, I'll take you out. I don't care. Yeah. I ain't uh, politically correct. I'll bring you down, Yeah, brother. Mm-hmm. Brother. Oh, my God. So, um... Uh... I'm tired. Let's wrap it up. Yeah, well, we talk for fucking ever. Mm-hmm. We got to stop doing this. After the break, uh, RJ guns me down in the sewer, and I'm dead. You had it coming. And, but he doesn't get the girl. Oh. What else is new? Slow down, you crazy child. You're so ambitious for a juvenile But then if you're so smart Tell me why are you still so afraid mm-hmm. Where's the fire? What's the hurry about? You better cool it off before you burn it out You got so much to do And only so many hours in a day hey. But you know that when the truth is told that you can get what you want or you can just get old you're gonna kick off before you even get halfway through Ooh, and will you realize Vienna waits for you so RJ uh, in the film The Third Man we watched Orson Welles kind of on his way to being his massive massive immense self what are you doing to work on your Orson Welles-like physique? Well, as you know, I am a regular of the Burger King. Uh, also, as people who have follow us on other social medias know, uh, we're fans of the donuts. And uh, I eat donuts pretty regularly. So um, beer and donuts and Burger King. I heard, uh, I think it was McConaughey, when he needs to bulk up for a roll, he just eats burgers and drinks beer. Hmm. So uh, I'm halfway there. And folks, you can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com and tell us about how you're bulking up just like Orson Welles. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on the Letterboxd. Uh, I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. Mm-hmm. And next week, spine number 65. Uh, as mentioned before, Wes Anderson <laughs> and his <gasps> second movie... 
Rushmore mm-hmm. from 1998. Uh, I just watched this movie like last year, so this movie's pretty fresh in my mind. Uh, and it's going to be the first Wes Anderson movie in your Criterion Crawl. And we all know, I think everyone knows that uh, the Criterion Collection loves them some Wes Anderson. This is true. And We'll uh, talk about it next week. And Bill Murray and Jason Schwartzman, all that, all that fun stuff. We watched that that budding Wes Anderson come along. Budding, what a gross word! <laughs> it is so gross. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, anyways, good night. Thanks for listening. Sorry for another long one. Yeah. Sorry. Whatever. It's Jared's fault. <laughs> Dark Tower sucks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>